Today I want to do a little something different as we start our message. I, I want us to have an argument with God. Particularly I'm going to have an argument with God. Specifically, I'm really probably arguing with the angel who announced to the shepherds the good news of a great joy, but really because they were sent by God and he told them what to say, I'm really having an argument with God. I'd love for you guys to take your Bibles and connect with me. Let me read this text and then kind of get into my argument a little bit and then backtrack out of it some for us. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. We started a new series entitled Good News, Anyone? Well, bad news that we hear. We're trying to focus in a little bit on the good news that's available to us. And we're going to be using uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 as our focal verse here over the next couple of weeks. And I want to read verses 8 through 20 for us. This is Luke chapter 2. It's page 867 in your pew Bibles if you want to grab one of those. Very familiar story. Um, tremendous. I mean, it's, if, you were, if you were doing a, you know, a, a motion picture of this, the cinematic opportunities are just incredible, right? The, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the flocks, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. Some of, some of your translations say, and they were greatly afraid. But the angel says to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior who was Messiah of the Lord was born for you in the city of of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. No dilly-dallying around. Let's go. Let's go see this and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they, they hurried off. And they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, there's the story of the angels and the announcements. That was just mind-boggling to folks. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and was meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. May God add his blessing to his reading of his word. So here's my argument with the angel, really through the angel to God. Where's the great joy? I mean, the angels show up, and he says, I, I bring you great no news, good news of joy. N not just joy, but great joy. Not just great joy for some, but for all people. I, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Where's the joy? I mean, these shepherds, as far as they know, they go off to Bethlehem. You know, when they visit with Mary and Joseph, they tell their story. When they go back out to their flocks, the sheep are still stupid. They go back out to their flocks, the, the sheep still smell. It's still freezing cold at night. 
It's, it's, it's still wicked hot. I'm sure they didn't use the word wicked. That's one of those New England things, right? But, I mean, it's just brutally hot during the day in most of the seasons in Israel. You know, when we were there, it was over 100 degrees every day. You know, when we were up on top of, of, of Masada, it was 110 degrees, I think, in the shade. It's hot. I mean, it was still hot. Shepherds got up and said, the weeks flowed. The Romans were still occupying the nation, still squeezing the people under their thumb. None of that had changed. In fact, the, the leadership, even the local leadership, was brutal and corrupt. I mean, because within a couple of months, Herod's going to give the order to slaughter all the kids who were under the age of two, all the boys in this area, because he's looking for this one who was born. I mean, where's the great joy, you know? I mean, decades are going to go by. Nothing. Nothing changes. Sure, there's going to be a blip on the screen about 30 years out when this guy, Jesus, runs around the countryside, you know, feeding some people and healing a few and bringing up some wonderful messages. And I mean, he's a great show to follow. He's a great entertainer, but nothing really changes. Another few decades after that, the Romans are going to come in and, and they're going to destroy the temple. Where is the great joy? Depressed yet? That's not my objective. We're going to get there. But, but you can fast forward. It, it, you know, it's been 2,000 years, right? Where's the great joy? You know, for every good thing that we could point out, many of us could find one or more bad things, right? I mean, we, we still live in a time when the world is pretty messed up, aren't we? You know, here, here we are. We, th- this great joy has been echoing down through the ages for 2,000 years, and yet we still live in a time when sociopaths are taking over huge swaths of Africa in the Middle East, beheading people, justifying from their religious books, sexually enslaving women and children. Where's the great joy? You know, we, we, we thought we had put plagues behind us a 1,000 years ago, but but even now, we have something like Ebola that is not only just crushing the cities, but literally crippling nations. Where's the great joy? It seems like every week there's some, someone is getting shot at random in our country. You know, we're, we're celebrating an anniversary of the Newtown shootings, right? But it seems like there's just a regular flood. Just, just this past week, right, there was another shooting out in Oregon just seems over and over again. The violence just seems to be, where's the great joy? Or maybe you want to dial it in back more personally. You know, just this week, I mean, we being up to the hospital, some being with the T2s, is, George is still trying to recover. If he's going to recover from these massive heart attacks that he had and his heart stopping. And, you know, and his, and his daughter said, you know, we, we are faced with decisions that nobody should have to make. Where's the great joy? You know, I got home last night. I went, I went down really early Thursday morning, spent a couple days with my father because they don't know how long he's going to make it, and et cetera. And here's an 81-year-old man, worked hard all of his life, and today just literally getting from the couch to the bedroom. It's a huge ordeal, and, he, and he's holding so much water, he looks like he's nine months pregnant. Where, where's the great joy? Now, 
So you can have this argument with God, right? Where, where's the joy? Just like the old Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef? You know, where's the joy? You know, it's been going on for 2,000. Where's the joy? Well, I come at this text, perhaps like you with the bias, that God does not lie. That there really is good news of a great joy. So with that, this joy somehow or another has to be different. You know, I think I put in your sermon outlines, I put it this way. My introductory point is that there has to be something extraordinarily different about the Christmas joy that God gives us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How is it that this joy is different and how can you and I come to experience Christmas joy? I, I don't think God sent the angels to show up and announce something that's supposed to be just so much fluff that just disappears off. It sounds great when it's being proclaimed by an angelic choir in the midst of a black sky and all this kind of... I, I think God has given us, truly given us in Christ, great joy. So what is it about this joy that's extraordinarily different? And we're, we're going to... We're going to do some deep walking here for a few minutes, all right? In other words, we're just not going to be fluffy little kind of deal. There, there's some pieces where in order for you and I to get what Christmas joy is, what this great joy is, we, we have to dig down just a little deeper. We've got to wade in the deep end of the pool of some theological truths for us, some things that God's want to say to us. And, and so I hope you follow along and you've got your outline. You can put your points down there and et cetera as you go. But the first thing you, you need to understand about this Christmas joy it's not just experiential, but it's theological. It's, it's not just what we experience in the moment. It's, it's not just our reaction that we finally got the big promotion, you know, or our team won the championship, or I got accepted to the college I always wanted to go to, or we finally had that child we've been praying for. Those are all wonderful things, and they should create moments of celebration. But this kind of Christmas joy is not just experiential. It's theological. It's rooted in who God is. That God is eternal. That he's loving. That he's forgiving. That he engages his creation. That he's redeeming and restoring. It, it, it's all about who God is. It's about what God has said. You know, it's, it's about the promises that he has made to us. That he who began a good work in us will be completed, that you and I will get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you know? It's about what God has said. <coughs> Excuse me. It's about what he's done. You know, it's he, that he has personally intervened. That, that's what he's doing in Luke chapter 2. God is stepping out of heaven into the world in the person of his son, and he's personally intervening in human history to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is live a perfect life, and he's going to offer himself up as a sacrifice. It's celebrating what God has done. It's not just about what's going on around us, but it's about who God is, what God's done, what God has said, what he's promised to us. It's a different kind of joy. But it's also, beyond being just not experiential, but theological, it's also not just temporal, but it's eschatological. Now, when was the last time you used the word eschatological, right? You know, I'm sure that came up at breakfast this morning. You guys were sitting there, you're reading the newspaper, and you're, oh, you know, that kind of, eschatological means it, it's, it's, it's talking about the future, what's going to come. When we think about Christmas joy, it's not just the here and now. It's not just what God is doing now 
in you, around you, for you, what's going on in the world. It's not just the now. Many of us, we have cause to look at some things that are going on, and we, and, and we genuinely could ask, where is God? You know, we're, we're dealing with some difficult experiences. I get that. I understand that. Okay? But when we talk about Christmas joy, the joys that these angels showed up to announce to all of us, it's not just talking about the stuff that we experience in the 70 to 80 to 90 years that we have on this planet. But he's talking about the joy that comes through all of our existence. You know, just as the angels announced the birth of Christ, at the end of the story of Christ, there's another angel that said, you know, said, you know the way you saw him go into heaven, the way you saw him just taken up and received by the clouds and gone, he's going to come the exact same way. And when he comes, you know what? The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and the trumpet's going to sound, and all of us are going to join him in the air, and we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And, and we're going to get those, we're going to toss aside these earthly tents, you know, and, and we're not going to struggle with our weight anymore. We're not going to limp. We're not going to worry about what, God's going to give us our perfect eternal bodies. They're going to last forever. We're going to get to watch streets of gold and celebrate God, not by faith, but by sight for all eternity. That's Christmas joy. It's not just temporal stuff. It's eschatological stuff. It's what God's going to do. And it's not just joy that's Christological. It's also anthropological. Now, I think that means it tells us something about who we are, not just about who God is. I, th I, think, I think that's right, right? You know, study of man, anthropology. You smart kids here in the front. Is that right? Did I get that right? You know, all right, good. I'd hate to have it in my notes and have it wrong, right? You know, we look at Christmas, and it does tell us about who Christ is. What was the angel said? You know, today for you is born in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. It does tell us about who, who Jesus is. It tells us about what God's up to, what he's going to do. But it also tells us something about ourselves. It says that we are important enough and God cares about us enough that he is willing to step into history to do for us what we can't do for ourselves so that you and I can live in relationship with him. That's a message to us. That's what Christmas says. God cares about enough about us. On top of that, it also says that you and I, we need a Savior. Every single one of us is in a position where we need a Savior. I don't care what your sin is. We all got it. And we need a redeemer and god has given us that redeemer in jesus christ and that is cause for joy now listen you guys know me well enough to know that that you know i i i always love to emphasize what i call practical theology how does this stuff matter to your everyday life or another way of saying that, how is it this stuff that we know about Joy, not just being experiential or temporal or about Christ, but it's about something that we experience in the moment and for all of eternity, and it tells us who we are. How does all that stuff translate into the, you and I being able to live with great joy, being able to live with the mar mar marvelousness of this extraordinarily different joy that God is giving us in Christ? So I want to talk just a little bit about what does it take to live with Christmas joy. And, and, and I want to find my hints from our text today. You know, we've been kind of 
working around a lot of biblical stuff, and I want to try to draw back just a little bit. And, and my, I don't know how, how the, if the points really flow, but I think they're all really powerful for us to think about. And, and here's the first thing. I, I, in order for you and I to live with Christmas joy, with this extraordinarily different, marvelous joy that's not touched by circumstances, except in order for you and I to live with great joy, it has to be preceded by great fear. Look at the reaction of the shepherds when the angels showed up, right? You know, shepherds, first of all, you know, we, we have almost a glorified image of the biblical shepherd, right? I got to tell you, in the ancient world, they were the scumbags of society. They actually had laws in Israel that made it impossible. It made it illegal for a shepherd to actually give testimony in court because they were just that unreliable. If you were a shepherd, you were a crook. You were a liar. You were whatever. It's, it's kind of like some of the ways that we see modern-day gypsies, or at least we did in certain places. And I know that's true in, in some countries in the world. When I was in Romania, that's the way the Romanians look at the gypsies who live among them. They just they, they, You just can't trust any of them. That's a fact of life. That's just the way they say. That's the way the shepherds were saying. That's, that's who the angels showed up to talk to. And what's their reaction? It says they're, they're terrified. They're in great fear. I think there's a wonderful model there for us because I think that great joy is always preceded by great fear. Let me, let me tell you kind of what I mean by that. You know, one of the most precious and sacred things that I get to do as a pastor is go out and meet with folks and talk to them about when they're, about their relationship with God and about whether or not they're ready to be baptized. And probably the most difficult of those to do is when you're dealing with a young child, a kid who's 8, 9, 10 years old, 11 years old. And over my 30 years of ministry, we've had a lot of those. And I got to tell you, I, I, I always like to go out to their home when I'm involved, I like to go out to their home. And I like to, I like to meet with the child by myself and then afterwards meet with the parents with the child. And here's why. You know, it's really not all that hard for a 9- or 10-year-old child to love Jesus. I mean, a 9- or 10-year-old child, they, they love mommy and daddy, love Grammy and Grampy. They love their uncles and their aunts. They love the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and Jesus. You know, it's just not that hard to be in love with Jesus, to be in love with God. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. What's hard for a 9, 10, 11-year-old is to be lost so they can be saved. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that they actually are in a place, not so much that they, don't, that they love Jesus, but do they actually understand and appreciate their sinfulness? They don't have to be able to express it like some theologian writing a book or whatever, but in a profound, real way to them, do they understand that what they do alienates them from God? I got to tell you, I think that's part of our struggle sometimes with experiencing great joy, is, is that we don't have an appreciation enough for what we do that alienates us from God. You know, it's easy to be in on, I want God to love me, and I want to have eternity, and I want all that peace and hope and joy and all that kind of stuff that God's talking about. Sign me up. I'll take it. But when it comes down to really confronting with the fact that at our core, we are a people who are undeserving of eternity 
because of what we do and who we are. That, that, that's a different way. And I think great joy starts with great fear. It, it, is, it is being in a place where you are overwhelmed by the grace that God has poured out on you because we are sinners in need of a Savior. Secondly, I believe that this Christmas joy takes a pilgrimage. It takes a journey. You know, what do the shepherds do? You know, the, the angels show up, they sing, etc., and, and they're gone. They're back into heaven. And, and these guys look at this, let's go, road trip. Let's go to Bethlehem. I mean, they want to go check it out. And so they, they pack up, and they're up, and they're off, and God, we, we don't know how far that was. Was it a couple of miles? Was it five miles? Did it take them all? They, they get to Bethlehem, and they find Mary. They find Joseph. They find Jesus lying in the manger. We don't know if it looked like this or if it was a cave that had been carved out. We don't know if the manger was made out of wood or if it was one of the stone ones that they often carved, you know, into the corners of the walls or whatever. We don't know a whole lot about the setting, but, man, they wanted to go, and they wanted to find it and see it for themselves, and they did. I got to tell you, sometimes I think we want Christmas joy to descend on us just like, you know, we, you know, we receive our salvation as a free gift from God. We want all the other stuff that God's ready to give us to come as a free gift as well. I'll just sit in my living room and let God dump it on me. It, it doesn't work that way. There's parts of it that it is a journey. It is a pilgrimage. You know, you, you receive when you're asking. You know, you, you, you find when you're seeking. You, you have the door open to you when you're knocking. You know, when you, you don't find the pearl of great pressure unless you're out looking for it, and then you have to be ready to sell everything to go and buy it. You don't discover that treasure buried in a field and then go and buy the field unless you're actually digging. It takes some effort. And I got to tell you, there's way too many of us when it comes to experiencing God's Christmas joy, we're just flat out lazy. We, we have convinced ourselves that we cannot pick this up and understand the great truths that God has given us. And, th and that's, that's a lie. God, by your faith in Christ, has placed himself in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's there to, designed to help you learn and understand what it is that God has done for you and the ways that he works in your life and what he's going to do for you. In the future. God makes it possible. And we just have to do some work to make it happen. If we're negligent or lazy, I think Christmas joy is always going to be elusive for us. There's one last thing. It, I, I think this Christmas joy always takes faith. It always takes faith. I mean, what, what, are, what, are the, what do the shepherds do when they go back, right? So they get to Jerusalem, they, I mean Bethlehem. They see Joseph and Mary. They tell them everything they've seen and all that kind of stuff. Mary's sitting in the corner. She's thinking this all out. You can definitely tell she's deep in thought. And these guys, the shepherds relieve, you know, hey, we've got to get back to the sheep. You know? So out they go. And, and when they're going, man, they're glorifying and they're praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Well, certainly some of that they're talking about the angels and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what have they really seen in Bethlehem? Was it really all that unusual a scene? I mean, we, we, we have this idea. I mean, many, many, many children, especially in a time when people were forced to go and roll in all these different cities and everybody's going everywhere and that kind of stuff. There, there were lots of people who were living in humble circumstances. Mary and Joseph can't be the only ones who caught themselves in that moment 
giving birth to their first child and not be in a place where they really wanted to be. They couldn't have been. They weren't. This, this was, I'm not saying the manger and all that kind of stuff was something they'd find. But these kinds of, of events were probably happening all across the nation. You know, it doesn't seem like every New Year's night, right, some kid's born in a cab, right? You know, you know it's just the first kid born in a cab and, you know, in 2015. I mean, it, it, we see somebody, look, this is like all, what did it say? Yeah, they saw some stuff, but at the end of the day, what led them to glorify and praise God is they simply believed what they've been told. They believed what they've been told. It takes faith. There will be that moment when we're going to believe because of what we see, but in this journey, experiencing God's gift of joy takes faith. Believing that he's Redeemer, Savior, Lord, Messiah, all the terms you want to use, it takes faith. Christmas joy is rooted in active, current, up-to-date faith or belief. I want to conclude with a story today that I think shares a lot, if you will, about how we experience Christmas joy. Because Christmas joy comes to us when you and I choose the Son. Stories told, um, I, I think this is a World War I story. It might be a World War II, but I think it's a World War I story. I wasn't able to clarify that. But th- there was a, a man who had who had a child, a son, no other family at that point. The father had a a tremendous passion for art. It was fairly successful, so over a number of years, he just, he kept accumulating some great pieces of art. As his son grew up, his son came to appreciate and love art as well, and so it was one of the things they did together. They went to auctions and other places, and they accumulated literally a tremendous gallery of art with some of the great masters of the times that, that they owned copies, they owned their works. And so they really had an admirable collection, great gallery. Well, as the country moved into war, the, the son signed up and he went into the military. And during the course of the war, the son was killed. In the midst of a heroic act, he, his platoon or whatever squad had come under a lot of pressure and several of the guys were down and he was going back into the danger zone even though he was out of that area. Went back into the danger zone trying to get some of the wounded guys out. And as he was carrying out the last of the guys, he himself was shot and immediately killed. And the father went into this tremendous mourning. You know, he, he just kind of shut the, the house down, shut the gallery down, if you will, and it was just in great mourning. And several months after the war was over, there was a knock at his door. And there was a young man standing outside the door, and he was holding a package in his hand. He told him, says, I, you know, this, I, was in the, I was in the military with your son. In fact, it was your, it was, your son came back and was carrying me out when he was killed. And I'm here today because of your son. And because of that, I want to give you this gift. And so the father opened the gift, and it was a, it was a portrait of his son that had been done by this young man. Now, it, it wasn't a great masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but it was pretty good. And what really caught the father was that the portrait really did catch the essence of the son. And, and in many ways, that portrait just brought his father back to life. He took the portrait, he hung it over the mantle, and 
He once again started inviting people to his home and, and, and to show him his art collection. And, 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 and every time he did, he always went to the mantle first and pointed out the portrait to his son. And then he would show him the other great works that he had, the Picassos and Rembrandts or whatever that he had around. And, and the father eventually died. And there was nobody to give any of the artwork to, so he left it in his will that it should be auctioned off. And so the day for the auction came, and, and a huge crowd, crowd had gathered. There was just a lot of anticipation, a lot of fan. I'm, I might have the chance today to get my hands on a masterpiece to hang on my wall. And they were just pumped and ready. So the auction opens up, and the very first piece of art they took out was the portrait of the sun. And the auctioneer says, okay, do I have a bid of 100? Nothing. And he continues to try to get him. Finally, somebody yells, you know, let's get on to the real masterpieces. Push that aside. Let's get on to the pieces that we came to see. And, and the auctioneer continued to push, well, do I have 50? Still nothing. Somebody else is yelling, let's get, move on. And the crowd was getting anxious as they move along. And, and finally, the, he loaned down and he said, do I hear 10? And there was a voice in the back that says, I'll give you, I'll give you 10 for the portrait. And so you know how auctioneers do, oh, can I have 10? Do I have 15? Da, 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 going once, going twice. Sold. And then the auctioneer said, at this point in time, the auction is over. And, and, and everybody in the room was like, what are you talking about? We only sold the first piece. And he said, no, it was stipulated in the will that whoever buys the portrait of the son gets all the rest of it. There, 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 there's a sense in here. You know, I don't, I don't tell that story just for you to have a great story, but there's a sense in here that you and I experience great joy, great Christmas joy, when we truly, truly value and choose the Son. Experience great joy this year. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the announcement of a good news. God, certainly we could use it. Thank you for the good news of a great joy. God, let us experience this extraordinarily different joy by our faithful, complete choice of the Son. As we pray in his name, amen.